in the devotional readings. I got hung up in Luke 13 this week, so I'm going to spend some time there. Um, the first two illustrations, um, Jesus is questioned about some people who died relatively brutal deaths. Um, Pilate had taken some Galileans and mixed their blood with sacrifices and for the Jewish people that seemed, you know, that was just a horrific ending to a life. And then with the uh, Tower of Siloam, again, one of their main sites in Jerusalem, Tower Falls, 18 people die. And, and uh, so they're asking him, you know, what, 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 what are we to think about that? And and uh, it's interesting because I remember these passages coming up when New Orleans flooded. You know, the, the hurricane came in and everybody's going, is this a judgment of God or isn't it? You know, and uh, it's easy for us up north to think that a hurricane would be a judgment of God, particularly when we're pretty safe from that. And, uh, of course, New Orleans has a... Uh, a reputation of being a wicked city. And, you know, in looking at this, Jesus' point was something different. He said, everyone needs to repent or face judgment. You know, he says, it's, do you think they were worse sinners? You know, so he makes this declaration that, uh, that that's not the primary issue here, as far as he saw it. Uh, when we walked through the, the minor prophets, uh, it was obvious that God does bring judgment on nations and cities at times. And in fact, at the end of this chapter, he's going to talk to Jerusalem and said, you know, he's weeping over them, but he's saying, I long to gather you, you wouldn't have it, but you're going to one day call back to me because he's, he's, he's predicting their demise, but at the same time saying, you're going to call to me at one point. So there is some specifics this way, but I think what, what we probably need to gather out of that is that it's really easy to make judgments or calls without even listening to what God's got to say about it. And that's not our job, and it's not an innate understanding that's in us. And so we better be a little bit careful when we start looking at things like that. Redding's burning right now. What do you want to say? No. <laughs> it's, it's those kind of things that, you know, let's, you know, Jesus is going, he says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He says, we're all scheduled for demise unless we repent. And, and so then I'm chewing on this and I'm going, okay, not every week is a banner week for me. I try, I try to stand up here and cover that pretty good, but <laughs> there are weeks when it just doesn't work real well. And, and uh, you know, you, you go, oh, God, you know... Um, I'm glad for this ongoing life, and I know that I can't continue to muddle around in things that I shouldn't, but at the same time, there are moments when our eyes are open and we've got to go, 
I've got to change. And the very idea of repent is to think differently, do differently. It's very closely associated with this, uh, the, the original words are very closely associated with this idea of being transformed. In other words, changing our thinking. And there's, there's always got to be a process of that. You know, I can be very proud that I didn't go into pornography this week. But I can also look and say, okay, I spent an hour watching failed videos. <laughs> Love those things. But if I'm a person living with purpose and I have destiny stamped on my life and I have reason for doing what I do, what has that got to do with anything? Of value. And, and so, you know, at points we get confronted with our own foibles, so to speak. And it's like, I need to change my thinking about this. I need to move. I, I, enough for chastising people about other things that they do, but, you know, there's, there's enough for me to deal with. And so when I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, the, the, the key, one of the keys of our salvation is that changing the way we think about things. And, and we've got to keep that as a part of our thinking as we walk through life. And it's like, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I shall be saved. Uh, salvation is, is ongoing, and it is future as well. It's past. There's a definite moment of transition. But it, you know, that's, that's what my life is about, and that's what it needs to continue in, so to speak. So Jesus um, goes on, and he tells the story of, a, uh, of the fig tree that wasn't producing any fruit, and the owner says, cut it down. And the gardener says, just give me another year. You know, I'll invest more energy into it. We'll fertilize it we'll, and, and just see. And, it, and in some ways, it's a declaration. The patience of God doesn't stop everything right now and, and fire off that judgment. But the patience of God, similar to First Peter or Second Peter, he's willing that none should perish, but everyone have it repentance and eternal life, that Peter caught the concept off of Jesus' teachings. And, and there's this thing of he, he desires for us to make that change. And he opens the door for a time. And he says, I'll keep investing, and, and we'll, we'll see if it doesn't produce some fruit. And then there's a story that goes next into this chapter of a lady that had, had a, a spirit Upon her, it says Satan was, had crippled this lady where she's walking stooped for 18 years. And at first, I didn't see any kind of thread with this of continuing thought. And I know generally that that's my own lack of insight at that point. But I'm chewing on this story. Why is this in here? And in fact, I consider just chucking it going on because there are other things that tie together makes for tidier sermons. 
But uh, I'm reading this story, and it, you know, the religious people who are in a sense to be the community of God, they're to be light to, to everyone around, has been abiding with a situation of the demonic for 18 years. And then when she gets healed, they make the wrong conclusion. They say, well, you're healing on the Sabbath. What's the matter with you? We don't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus is going, give me a break. You water your animals and, you know, why wouldn't you want to heal this daughter of Abraham? But that said, I started chewing on this thing of how long do we tolerate things in our midst without allowing our minds to be transformed or changed? Are we willing to let something sit of demonic significance for 18 years and do nothing about it? Are we willing for that in our own lives? You know, are we willing to, to bear with Satan's victories? You know, they come in all different forms, right? Are we willing to tolerate our sin that going on and on and on, say, for 18 years? Or, you know, I mean, it's one thing to look at this and say, well, it, it's this specific healing. But there's more to this than that. Satan was having his victories within a group, and they were doing nothing about it. In fact, they got upset when it got broken off. If we're people of the kingdom, and our desire is to see the fullness of God in our lives, then we need to be aware around us too and be saying, God, bring victory into this situation. Bring victory into this setting. And for some of us, we've walked in some things for the 18 years or more. And then the light comes on and we say, I need a change of my thinking. I need a change of heart, so to speak. I need a transformation of the Lord. I, I need his kingdom to come in this. And that's kind of what we're about, right? We're acknowledging when, when things need to change or aren't right, and we're saying, by the power of God, transformation can come here. And so that's what I want to start stepping into. It's, uh, you know, in some ways, this woman stood out because she was visibly obvious. But that doesn't mean that Satan's works are confined to just what you can see. And yet there's, there needs to be something in our hearts that says his victories should not exist, particularly within a community that loves and honors God. And if the kingdom of God is truly growing in us, then it needs to be pushing back the boundaries, so to speak, and pushing back the works of evil and taking on the righteousness of Christ. The next story that Jesus is, is put, has put together in this passage is this, he gives two illustrations of the kingdom of God growing. And the one is the mustard seed, 
where it starts as a very small seed, but it grows into a bush or tree big enough for the birds. And his point is the kingdom of God is just going to keep growing. I find this very reassuring. At times when I hear, oh, Christianity's on the decline. and um, I think not. I have the promise of this bush. <laughs> In another passage, it, it will grow and, uh, to the largest plant. And, and I'm just going, I believe that the kingdom of God is going to go forward. I have the option of whether I'm going to participate or not. And as a people, so to speak, a community or a nation, we have our opportunity to participate. It is not going to die out. It's not going to shrink. It's just going to keep expanding. And so we have the choice to be a part of that or not. And then he does say, he gives another illustration. He says, it's like yeast. It's just going to spread through the whole loaf. And then, it, you know, the growth is just going to keep going. Okay, so he went through towns, uh, towns and villages. I'm on 22. On his way through the towns, teaching, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So again, he says, not everyone finds this. And, you know, I think at minimum, when we're saying, well, if Christianity is true, it ought to be a majority of belief or a majority of people find God. And Jesus was very clear that that's not necessarily the case. And so, you know, it's kind of faulty thinking on our parts to say that, well, for justice or fairness or goodness of God, then it has to be over half. And Jesus is going, no. It's not my rule, it's yours, and you're going to have to change it, your thinking. And, and in, in some ways, there's a, a, a piece that says, well, whether it be one or many, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm believing and participating in. But um, that said, he says, I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able but I link this to the next verse where he says the master is going to shut the door and people are going to try to get in. And to me, that's like in eternity when, when Christ comes and declares this is the end, there are many that are going to be looking at it and going, ooh, I, I want to be a part of that. I want in. And he's going, no, you had your time to decide and it's not there. You chose not. That's how I read this passage. Um, I know there's other ways of seeing it. He says, The master of the house will rise, shut the door, and those standing on the outside will knock, Lord, open to us, and he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you'll begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. You say, Well, we hung out together. He says, That's not it. We were around you. That's not it. We started this passage with repent, change heart, change, put your, your, your heart into eternity. And so again, it's just saying it, it's not enough to just 
carry the language. Now remember, we already talked about a synagogue leader getting very upset that somebody got healed, making a bad decision. So in that sense, there were a lot of religious people around him. Jesus is going, that's not enough. There's got to be something in the heart. He says, there will be weeping and gnashing and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be cast out. He goes on to say, however, there are going to be people from the east and west, north and south, he says, from all over the world. So he's making that declaration that it isn't just the select tiny few. It isn't just their heritage. It isn't just their community or those that have actually seen them. But he's saying this is going to spread and it's going to be, there are going to be believers from everywhere. Behold, many who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Okay, at that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, get away from here, Herod wants to kill you. Jesus says, go tell that fox, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. So he's going, it really doesn't matter what he thinks or what he says. He says, I have a goal. I have a I have a calling, I have a destiny, and this is where I'm going. And in some ways, that's the same call to our own hearts, right? When we say, I believe in eternity, I believe that my salvation is dependent upon my embracing Jesus Christ, then we set the course of our lives that direction, and we say, it doesn't really matter who's chattering, or who's threatening, or who's saying what, this is where I'm going. And Jesus is setting that example. And he makes this. He says, I must go my way today, tomorrow, and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So he's making this declaration. It's all going to happen in Jerusalem. And he says, you know, and basically he's telling them, never mind what Herod's saying. <laughs> That's not the plan. Uh, Jerusalem's the place. But Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who have sent it, often I would have gathered you children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. You were not willing. Will hold your houses forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When I read through this particular passage, it helps temper that feeling, so to speak, is, or that teaching that comes out that says, well, God loves you so much that he would never, ever turn you away. God loves everyone so much. How could you possibly say that there's a heaven and a hell? How could you possibly say that Jesus, of all people, would, would turn away someone. And yet, this chapter is powerful in declaring that his love, in wishing that none should perish, speaking of Jerusalem and saying, I wish that I could have gathered you together. 
I wish you'd have responded to this message. But he says, I know that you're not going to. And, and so he, he just basically says, this is what I long to do. And he's already said, I am living with a patience, hoping that all will come. But at the same time, this knowledge that this is the direction that you must go. Repentance is an essential for your life in Christ. And this is how we walk. And so even though in some ways, you know, initially, there has to be a change. And you can point to that moment of saying, I believe in you. I believe in your salvation. I believe in the hope that I have in eternity with you, and I'm committing my life to that course. And then after we've made that decision, even if we've been in it 50, 60 years, there's still this declaration that goes out and says, I continue to live a life where I have changed direction, and I continue to turn toward him. And this is the destiny that I walk in. This is the direction that I take. This is where I'm going to go. And we walk in that path, and we continue to allow him to change us and change our thinking. And then we have that hope that our very lives will be transformed. And there's a talk of a new body and a new, new age, so to speak, when everything has been transitioned. And we have that steadfast hope of saying, this life is temporal. This life does not hold everything that we would seek in the flesh. And so when we go and look and we say, well, a disaster happened over here. Yes, it did. <laughs> At best, we then go say, well, Lord, is there something to be learned in this or not? But knowing that all of us are on an even playing field of saying, our lives must be transformed by him for our salvation to be secure in him and for an open door of acceptance when we step into eternity. We thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to earth and suffered and died to remove our sin. We thank you that you laid out a way of us finding full embracing in you. We thank you that you revealed what the narrow door is. I pray for each one here, Lord, that there's a certainty in their hearts that they've walked through that door in you and continue to walk in your path. Amen. A couple things. If you are wrestling with whether you're at peace with God, that needs to get taken care of. Um, seek out someone you trust and uh, just settle that in prayer with them. Um, well, there's opportunity for prayer up front, but I just suggest this isn't something to treat lightly. Or if you've been struggling through some issues, there are times when it's better just to share that with someone and say, pray with me for us to take care of this. Um, in a final note, in regard to catastrophes that happen at different places, probably our first response ought to be compassion. And just say, well, I, I, 
I'm grateful that hasn't happened to me, but I, I hope well for them, you know. And in that too is the, I hope that those that, that died were at peace with God. It's a very big deal. And it keeps, in a sense, us looking around and even our neighbors and friends that are saying they need to be at peace with God. And so I need to be continually declaring the goodness of God and offering opportunity for that. So I'd like to pray God's blessing upon you. Now we'll continue in open-ended worship. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what a renewed mind is all about. And be truly transformed in you. I ask as each one goes into the community that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.